Hi, I'm Lori. And I'm Rachel. And we're the sex positive. We're God, sex, and sangria. So, Lori, do you want to tell everybody, like, why we decided to change our name? What was the main thing about it? I think, so I think for us, it's really comes down to the word Christian. And it kind of started to feel disingenuous to say that I was a Christian when I knew that the vast majority of Christians would look at my spiritual life and say, you're not a Christian. And there's a sense of grieving attached to that a little bit, like getting rid of that title of this name that was so deeply tied to my identity for so long. But also something very freeing about kind of getting to a point where I'm like, I'm not really a Christian anymore. So then also being in a podcast called the Sex Positive Christian Feminists felt unfaithful to my identity. And also just not fair to Christians who might stumble upon it and then be like, why is this woman talking about goddesses? This is not what I was looking for. Like, it's not necessarily even targeting or talking with the people who are necessarily interested in what we're sharing. Yeah, I want, I'm curious about that grieving component. That was kind of surprising to me as you said it. Like, what, what does that grief feel like? And sort of how have you moved through it? And yeah, I think, I think a lot of people who, who are leaving behind Christianity skip over grief because it feels so normal or feels okay or so accepted in a lot of spaces to just be like, I'm not a Christian anymore. Screw the church, you know, fuck it all. And I feel like the, one of the things that, um, I can, you can kind of tell, I feel like if somebody hasn't really grieved the church, cause you can still see their wound inside of them where they haven't really moved past their their hurt and i'm not saying that to make anyone feel like they need to like quick get over their hurt and like get through it real quick but i think grieving is a really important step and so i think it was slow because i think saying i'm no longer evangelical had a little bit of grief to it because i knew that there was a set of communities that i was no longer a part of and didn't feel comfortable being a part of but saying I was no longer Christian, I think hurt a little bit more because I have a degree from a Catholic theology school. My network, and so my professional network is very Christian. The people who I talk to about spirituality are often Christian. I think about like, and that is a shared understanding that we have. And so to say like, no, this is something different between us hurt a little bit, especially I think also because I still really like Jesus. And I still really like the Bible. And I feel a little bit like I'm not allowed to like the Bible or Jesus if I'm not a Christian. But then at the same time, like, I am. Because, like, that's just a part of being a Western person is being raised around this deity named Jesus with this book called the Bible. And, um, yeah, I don't necessarily know if I would tell myself that I'm not a Christian, but I know that I'm not a Christian to other Christians. And that's where I meant that I, that was, I guess, the biggest thing to grieve, was saying goodbye to that. So it sounds like it was more so a grieving of 
the sense of community or the sense of being to, not so much that you can't own the word Christian for yourself, but that the community of people who generally call themselves Christian won't accept you as one of their members. Well, yeah, but it's also a limbo thing, right? Because like then there's other people who aren't Christians who hear Christian and then they have an understanding of what that is. So like for me, I don't feel like I had like this transition where I was like, I no longer believe these things. I feel like as my spirituality grew, the title no longer made sense to me anymore. Because who Jesus is in my mind is this like really incredible magician who lived once and did all these incredible things and like invites me to be like one with God with him, probably in a little bit more of a Gnostic sense. But like, I don't need to like, like, I feel very comfortable still calling myself a Christian because that to me sounds great. Like following the teachings of Jesus, Christian. But um, that's just not what that word means. Like, to everyone else. <laughs> it's so interesting because I feel like there's definitely a subset of people who fit into this category. Like, you're not alone in that, right? That's probably where I would settle into as well, where I'm like, I don't necessarily want to own the word Christian for myself because of, especially right now in the U.S. and in other places too, but I definitely know the U.S. church best. Christian means a lot of weird other stuff. Like it oftentimes means like guns and God and America first and Trumpism and Nazism, white supremacy. Like there's a being pro-Confederacy, even if we didn't, even if you're not in a state where the Confederate that was part of the Confederacy. I don't know. I just drove through Nebraska and there were like Confederate flags and you're like, dude, you weren't even a state. <laughs> you weren't even part of the U.S. during the Civil War. What are you doing, Karen, about the, the Confederate flag? At least I'm from Virginia. Like, if somebody has a Confederate flag, maybe, just maybe, they could potentially make the argument this is, like, family heritage. Though, really, it's not. Um, yeah, so I feel like there's a way that, like, Christian gets, like, lumped into all of these things that are not, that are politically not where I land. Um, and I think even when we've talked about progressive Christianity in the past um, with Brandon, Brendan, 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 with Brendan, um, even progressive Christianity has like some weird undertones of like trying to get away from those things, but still being stuck in some certain places. Um, so Christian can feel really tricky to own because of all the other connotations that are there, even though the simplicity of saying like, I like this guy named Jesus. He has a really cool story. There's some really good books about him. And I care about what he has to teach, even if I'm not believing that he is the singular individual incarnation of the divine. Um, yeah, it can be tricky. And even as you're saying that, I'm thinking like, that's also what Islam teaches about Jesus. That's also what Jewish people think about Jesus. That's also what. Um, like a lot of other religions think about Jesus. So I think it also allowed me to be a little bit more free. And like my, my affinity for the word Christian really does come back down to heritage. Like for 2000 years, my ancestors have been a part of this religion that like my, my grandmothers going back a thousand years went to this 
church and prayed to the Holy Mother, like my, like this is the tradition. Like my middle name is Francis after St. Francis, who is from very, very close to where my family is from. He's the patron saint. And like, there's a lot of Christianity in Western culture that we can't really get away from. So part of my affiliation with the word is also something I think Western people need to reconcile with when we observe how oppressive Christianity has been, is how deeply, deeply influenced in Western culture. Western culture is a Christian culture, even if it's not Christian in the evangelical sense. It is, it's Christianity. I mean, I think really simply put, if you read literature that is generally considered great literature in the U.S., you're going to run into so many Christian allusions, allusions with an A for those of you who are, are listening and it's tricky sometimes, illusions with an I versus allusions with an A. Um, you're going to run into them so regularly that it's really helpful to have a solid understanding of some aspects of Christianity just to get through an English literature class. And that, I think, is like a really solid proof that we are in a Christian culture. Even right. if I don't mean that to mean we need to espouse, quote unquote, Christian values. Right, right. I mean, even in Europe, they're taking off for Christian holidays and like for the ascension. And <laughs> we're not even doing that in America. And so there is this sense of understanding that that's part of our roots. And I think there's something like really okay about that, even because if you go to India, where I've never been, but there's probably people who are atheists who are doing, who have things in their lives that are influenced by the religion of that area of Hinduism in a way that isn't necessarily their belief system, but it influences their culture and their understanding of things. Um, Yeah, there's things that are intertwined in that way. And I think I'm okay with that. And that's where I still hold myself to being a Christian, even though. Yeah, I really just, I think it's come to this point where I just really respect this, this ancient dude. I love that. I just come to this place of respecting this ancient dude. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What about you, Rachel? Talk to me about your relationship with our old name and what, what happened for you. Yeah, I think it's similar in the sense where I know for me, just like looking at, you know, who's following me on Instagram and who's signing up for my mailing list and who's, you know, hanging out in my Facebook group. And I deeply care about people who are coming from a Christian background and working with those individuals to heal their sexual, their sexual experiences and their sexuality and their relationship to their bodies and all that kind of stuff. But I was realizing both when I would get calls with people who were still really deeply rooted in their Christianity, I couldn't help them in the way I wanted to. Um, I couldn't do that in a way that felt fully, like if I was offering them the most useful tools to heal their sexuality, there was a lot of pushback against it because it was like, oh, but that goes against this moral teaching or something. And it was like, well, I think you should probably let go of that moral teaching, but it's not my place to say that to you. So I'm not going to say that to you. I'm just going to end up having to like find other things. And it's just not going to be as effective of coaching if I can't give you the practices that are going to be the most useful for you. 
And I found myself in a place where the people I could serve were people that had moved away from Christianity and probably wouldn't call themselves Christian either, but had this relationship to Christianity that Lori was just describing that I think really matches my own, which is that, well, I was raised in a Christian family and for me, a Catholic family very specifically. And we've been Catholic for forever and a day in our history. And therefore, like, I can't just get rid of that part of myself. I still want, you know, I got married in the Catholic church because I wanted to have a Catholic mass as part of my ceremony. I care deeply about these rituals. Um, I recently went to a family funeral and it meant a lot to be able to say, you know, may perpetual light shine upon him. Like that language and those rituals mean so much. Even though the beliefs that I have behind them are probably different from most of the people in the pews. And it didn't, it felt disingenuous, similar to what you were saying, to say I'm a Christian or I'm a Catholic when so many people would define that differently. The other thing I'm thinking about as you're talking is you and I have both been on a lot, a huge spiritual journey before we came here. So like, I know for me, I was evangelical, goddess worshiper, Episcopalian, kind of Catholic pagan, Christo-pagan, then not Christian anymore. And so I went through this like whole arc which led me into this space. And I know you have too. So I'm wondering, like, talk about a little bit about like your relationship with God and who God has been throughout your life. Because we've talked about Jesus, but who's God? Oh, well, like, I mean, this is why I really love James Fowler's work on stages of faith, because I feel like it's so easy to be like, oh, finally, my own story makes so much sense because there's this like, these stages that I can like see where I was. Um, which we've talked about that a lot. So listen to other episodes if you're interested in that or send me a DM somehow and I can send you a link to something. But basically, yeah, when I was a kid, like God was this person in the sky who was my bestie and like we'd chat about everything and I would pray the right prayers and say that our father and learned how to pray the rosary and did that. Um, And at some point, you know, I had a pretty deep, reverence for the Eucharist, which in Catholicism really is the, the the concept of the real presence or like the mystical body of Christ. Basically, it's like this wafer, once it is consecrated, becomes the actual body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. And so, you know, going to Eucharistic adoration, which is where the Eucharist is in what's called a monstrance, but it's like a gold pretty thing that like holds the, holds the wafer and like has gold streaming metal pieces out like it looks like a sunburst of some sort anyway really interesting piece of thing you can google it and find a picture and think that catholics are crazy um but would like sit in front of that and just meditate and so there was a sense of like meditation and just sitting in the presence of god and letting literally believing like because this wafer is god because this is actually god that i'm looking at and that i'm sitting next to or sitting in front of and looking at that that there's a a deeper relationship there than just sort of like hanging out in prayer. Yes, God is everywhere, but when God is really, really in this piece of bread, it feels even more intense to be like present with God. And I love that. Um, And then I had an experience where I was like, I could really feel the presence of God in another person and felt like through this relationship with someone, I was able to sort of fall into the infinite pool of love that is what I've sort of came to define God as. 
And from there, um, there was a, something that happened that led me to atheism. But there's still this like felt experiential sense of really being held in this infinite pool of love. And so how to make sense of that experience versus the intellectual thing of like this more specifically, um, specifically like the, the morality of the church wasn't fitting my actual lived experience. And so, or the moral teachings of the church wasn't fitting my lived experience. And so my experience of this infinite pool of love needed to win out over the intellectual exploration of morality. And as a process of following that desire to, to live in that infinite pool of love more regularly is how I found Tantra, is how I found Taoism, is how I studied Buddhism, um, all of those things. And eventually came back to, okay, cool. All of these traditions are sort of kind of teaching a similar thread at the very, at the mystical level. At the theological level, they're all radically different. But at the mystical level, they're all sort of saying we're already united to God or we're already united to the Tao. And the more that we can be in communion and in union and in harmony with other humans, the deeper we can fall into that experience of being one with God. And I was like, this is actually really great. And I also think that Christianity can have this in it too. And that's why I went back to grad school was to find a way to like enter, to weave back in these insights I'd had from both my experiences of sexuality and spirituality, my experiences of other religious traditions. And how could I like bring that back into Christianity in a way that wasn't syncretistic? Is that the word, Lori? Syncretism? Syncretism is the idea of synchronizing, but syncretistic sounds correct. <laughs> There's like this thing that like gets really looked down upon in Christian theological circles of syncretism. Um, Which I don't understand why, because it's so rooted in like our culture. Like yeah. Christian culture is syncretized with paganism. And it's, <gasps> it's okay that pagans had Christmas trees. It's okay that like... <laughs> totally. It's so okay the that the goddess also had roses. Like The definition okay. I just found was um, an amal- trying to amalgamate or trying to create an amalgamation of different religions, cultures, or schools of thought, which I don't think is a problem. <laughs> like, I think some people find it to be a way of watering things down, but I think it's actually a way of like, okay, cool. If we are digging close to, like, if we're finding water at the bottom of each of these wells, the water is the same. <laughs> so let's look at the water. Um, and let's see how is it how is it that these different traditions see this water differently or interpret the water differently. Anyway, so that's a side note on syncretism, um, and why I don't think it's that terrible. But I do I did find that like it felt really important to bring those insights of both interpersonal union and that being a way of finding God. Anyway, but feeling like I wanted to find a way to bring some of those insights that were body positive and sex positive and seeing sex as a way to like bring us closer to God into Christianity, which it's there. It just doesn't get talked about much. So yeah, that's sort of my spiritual journey, but I still very much feel like Jesus is one incarnation of the divine. 
Christ is the thing that we are all participants in, including this growling puppy and the stars and the moon and whatever else is beyond this universe. It's all being held in Christ or the concept of Christ. The more that we're aware of that, the more that we're kind to each other. The less that we're aware of that, the more that we're assholes. And I want to emphasize that when you say Christ, you're not meaning Jesus. You're meaning this Christ consciousness that some is just essentially love. It's essentially love. Yeah. And it's not, I I don't want to, it's not pantheism. It's panentheism. So it's not saying like only the material world is what God is present in. It's like, it's beyond that, but includes it. Right. And if another word works better for you, if it feels better to use love or to use the Tao or whatever, great. They're all interchangeable. I just come from a Christian background. And so it helps me to find that sense of peace and that like not feeling angry grief, but finding more peace in that grieving process of the fact that the Christianity I was raised in is not the Christianity I want to be a part of. that it helps me to use Christian language to find that piece. It's so interesting, though, because I think that using Christian language, I know here we're like all going through this whole podcast about how we're not Christians anymore. But to use Christian language, I think makes so much more sense to people, too. And I've used Christian mythology to illustrate ideas that I'm talking about when I talk about arrows in my programs and people like it clicks better for people. When I'm like, this is what Eros is, and I tie it into like Christ consciousness, and then they're like, oh, okay, get it. Jesus is the erotic. And I'm like, yeah, as well as you are. And like, there's this understanding of, it's just, it makes more sense to people because it's the language that they grew up with, even if it's something that people want to reject. Exactly. Yeah, it's the water we're all swimming in, which is why it's so tricky to completely extract oneself from Christian thought, even if you're not, even if you weren't raised Christian. Um, So who's God then? When we say God in our podcast, who's God? What does God mean? Can I be honest and say, I don't know? Yeah, (laughs) I think so. (laughs) So I have no idea. I don't think you do. I don't think any of us really knows what God is. Let's just be honest. Okay, so starting from that premise, where we don't know what we're talking about when we say the word God, when we are talking about God in this context, what I've landed on as a working definition of God for me, and really when I say working definition, it's not like, oh, this is a document that I'm working on, and so this is my working definition from like a intellectual standpoint, but like what works for me in my life as I walk through my days? What gives me a sense of peace? What gives me a sense of love? What helps me feel connected to myself, others, and that which is beyond me? And for me, <laughs> that working definition sort of falls into this thing of like, it's what's, it's literally what we all are a part of and what everything is a part of. And it just, I think, you know, going back to Yahweh or something, it is what it is. I am who am. Like, it is what is. God, in a sense, is isness. And because I am, I am participating in the isness that is God or the being. But when we say being, it gets too confusing to use those things. So I like to use isness because it somehow 
rewires your brain so that it makes more sense, I think. Lori, what about you? <laughs> um, God is so interesting. Because like I said, you said, I don't know. And I think that's what this podcast is going to be more about, is about like figuring out who God is in relation to sex and like what that means and like what sex is. I think it's also going to be a lot about what is sex because sex is not just two consenting adults rolling around in the sheets. It is so much more than that. Um, you don't even have to be in a, like you, well, you should be always consenting, but you don't even have to be at rolling around in the sheets to be having sex. So yeah, that's a whole other conversation. I mean, what about shower sex, Lori? Like, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's just, there's other places we can be having sex. Even you don't like... have to be two consenting adults in the shower or in the kitchen or in the living room or in the backseat of your car. <laughs> <laughs> to be having sex. Um, I think, um, who's God? I, it's so interesting because I think that that's kind of the whole point of spirituality. And so one of the biggest beefs I have with theology is this hubris that so many people walk around with thinking that they figured out who God is. When that is so ridiculous when people say, well, God doesn't want us to do that. And we know because of the Bible, it's like, what the heck do those words mean? Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. So much. Yes. <laughs> uh, God is, um, God is beyond us in so many ways and also is us. And so I think one of the definitions of God that I've been kind of into right now is more that we are just fragments of God playing with God's self. And we're just doing, it really makes me think a lot about theater and goes back to my theater roots where I'm just thinking, this is just a play. Like this is just one giant game. And like we get to make up the rules and we get to like play however we want. And I think when I remember that this is just God playing a game with God's self, like it makes everything just so much lighter and like a game. And so that's what I've been playing with a lot lately, but check in with me in two weeks and who knows what'll come out of my mouth. Can we talk more about that idea of God playing with God's self? Which also, when I said that just now, I was like, oh, we're all just God masturbating. That's cool. Which sounds also <laughs> correct. Right? <laughs> All of us are little God orgasms. Um, so I'm thinking of a bunch of different things. One is that RuPaul talks about that, where he says mm. we're all just God in drag, which yes. I also love that. Um, and Alan Watts talks about this concept a lot. Um, he has a great little video. We'll put it in the show notes. Um, of basically talking about this idea of like God dreaming like going to sleep and dreaming and being able to lucid dream. And so like, you know, very intentionally being like, this is the adventure I'm going to have. Now this is the adventure I'm going to have. I'm going to ride dragons. I'm going to do whatever. And then at a certain point that gets boring because you've done it so many times that you actually are like, I want to forget that I'm lucid dreaming. I want to actually have real play in my dreams. And sort of the, the thing that Alan Watts is proposing in that is that that's what is happening right now with all of us in our consciousness which I love that concept. It brings me a lot of joy. 
And what's also super cool about that is that it brings us a lot of freedom. Like I remember when I was um, living in New York City, I was riding the subway. And if you're familiar with the subway cars in New York City, it was one of the gross ones, not one of the ones with the blue seats. (laughs) One of the ones with the like orange yellow seats where the lighting is sort of orangey yellow. So everyone looks kind of like they're orangey yellow in a not good way. (laughs) Lori's nodding. Yes. One of those gross subway cars, it was like the F or something. And um, I just had this moment of realizing while on the subway, this gross subway that smelled a little funky, um, that holy shit, we already are in heaven. That this part of me that was always striving to get to heaven, because that's like such a big part of my, what was focused on in my growing up was we all want to be saints. And so like, what are you, we're all called to be saints. So how are you going to get to heaven? What are you going to do to, how are you going to fit into the box of what's good and moral so that you can get to heaven so you can become a saint? And then I just had this realization of like, oh no, 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 this is heaven. We're already here. It's here and now. It's not somewhere else. It's right here and right now. And the freedom that gave me, not only to like do some of the things that I thought were wrong, I don't know, get a tattoo, though I don't have any, but I could and not feel bad about it. Um, But also just to realize that there's so many more options I have. I don't have to live by somebody else's rules of what would be appropriate for me to be doing, whether that be professionally or what makes sense to someone else in my, what I wear or what I want to do with my life or how I want to make money. Um, There's so much more freedom that comes when you realize that like, oh no, this is the, this is the place that I'm trying to get to. I'm not trying to live this life so I can get to someplace better. I'm living this life to be the best place that I can be. And I realize that some of that sounds probably a lot like there's a lot of privilege involved in that, to have as many choices as I have as a white woman who has a master's degree and has parents that are also well off. You know, like there's a lot of privilege there that I have a lot more choices than somebody else might have. But whatever choices are available to you, that you really do have that choice. And I think even something as simple as like, I have the choice to decide whether or not I want to eat cake for dinner (laughs) as an adult. And that's a pretty basic choice. That's something that we can all probably decide on. Um, And no one like, you know, it's okay to make the choice to eat cake for dinner or to do whatever it is that you want to do. Um, Wear the fun clothing. Yes. The thing that I think about, I've been thinking about a lot is Augusto Boal, who, for those who don't know, that's the man who wrote Theater of the Oppressed. And Theater of the Oppressed was like what my whole thesis was on. Um, one of my theses was on in graduate school. And the and doing Theater of the Oppressed work is all about like fucking shit up. That's like kind of what my professor would say all the time. Like you're just supposed to fuck shit up. And the whole point is, is that there are no rules. And to realize that the key to revolution is to realize that the rules are made up and they've been made up by the oppressor to get the oppressed to follow the rules. And when I think about that as we live our own life and our own mini revolutions, when we realize that like, this is just a play and we're all just playing, we're just all like God in drag, as RuPaul says, we're all just doing these, all, these whole things and we can actually change the rules and break all the rules and shift the rules if we want to. And that, we're just free to do that is actually very liberating. And I do agree with you, Rachel. Like I do think that there's a semblance of privilege, 
But I also think like, how do we dismantle systems of privilege and hierarchy is that more people realize that they don't have to follow any of the rules. That like these rules that we feel like these mindsets that we feel set up around is actually very constricting. So when we talk about feminism, I think a lot about how during Me Too, I hear, I hear, hear a lot of phrases when Me Too conversations come up from women saying like, I can't even go down the street at night by myself because it's dangerous. And it's like, who told you you can't go down the street at night? Who told you that? Oh, your patriarchy told you you can't. Okay, so I don't listen to patriarchy. Like, and I understand that, like, I'm not saying that there's not danger in that. And I'm not telling you to like go outside if you don't think it's safe. And like, there's all those things that, like use your common sense and in, in your own self-judgment. But at the same time, like that phrase, I can't, is a, is a concept created by the oppressor to keep the oppressed small. And when you realize that you're just God playing a game with God's self, like these are, these are arbitrary rules and we can do whatever we want with them. And oftentimes what makes us feel limited and restricted in our life is because of those systems that are coming up and saying you can't when mm, you probably can. So one of the things that I know that we've talked about, what we want to talk about in this new iteration of God, sex, and sangria, um, or of sex, positive Christian feminists as God, sex, and sangria is talking about money. And I think when I think about this concept of play, I also realized that my relationship to money radically shifted once I realized this is a game. Um, and that doesn't mean like, you know, I have a 401k, I have a Roth IRA. I'm like, I save right now. I'm really, really, really trying to save like 20% of my income and just throw it into a savings account and not spend it. But so it's not like I'm just spending money like in a crazy way because it's just energy and who cares, but there's a way that making money no longer seemed dirty or wrong or bad if we are recognizing this is a game. And part of the rules of the game that we are playing right now include the game of capitalism, which means that if I want to live a life that is comfortable, I actually have to make money and have to make a decent amount of it to live the lifestyle I want to. And I'm not somebody who's like, drinking champagne every night and like eating filet mignon all the time. I like live off of salads and oatmeal, but like also <laughs> this is, it takes a lot of money to live period and to do the things that I want to do. Um, I just was curious, Laurie, do you have any, you know, best thoughts, first thoughts on, on money and play and God? Yeah. Because I think like money is a construct. It literally is a, it's like this idea that we all have like decided we're going to, it's all a rule. Money, the existence of money is just a bunch of rules that we all have agreed to play by. And you literally just don't have to play by them. Like, <laughs> like that sounds crazy. And I get that like, it's, it's different for everyone and how you move around it. Let me think of something that I can think of that, okay, here's, I'll give an example. The first time I paid for a high ticket program, it was a program I really wanted to do and it cost $5,000. And there was no way I could do it. I was making $30,000 a year, didn't have health insurance through my job at all. So like, when I say $30,000 a year, like taking home 25, like, not making anything. And I decided to quit my job, first of all, and then sign up for this high ticket program. <laughs> 
Brilliant choice, Lori. <laughs> I mean, we know how the story ends, so it was a brilliant choice, but it was a brilliant choice. But at the time, it didn't feel like a brilliant choice at all. And, um, but I got a job. I got a job cleaning, like being a housekeeper, like cleaning toilets, folding laundry, washing dishes. And first of all, I want to say that like, that's part of like the arbitrary rules. Cause like, you're not supposed to be a housekeeper. We have so many demeaning understandings of housekeepers in our society and cleaning for people is like one of the most demonized jobs. We have liberals in this world who think they're anti-capitalists who are like, I would never hire a cleaner because I'm so much more moral than that. And it's like such an unethical opinion to like completely ignore a very, very huge skill set. Because, yeah. And a skill set that, I mean, there's, I don't want to clean my toilet. It's really great. (laughs) If somebody could do that for me, that sounds like an amazing thing and amazing gift to give someone. And I'm better than most people at cleaning the toilet. So like, (laughs) I don't like cleaning my toilet either. But like, if you're paying me $30 an hour, I'll I'll clean your toilet for you. Yeah. I mean, I'm also thinking like, there's, there's also things in my apartment right now where I'm like, I don't know how to clean that. Like, I do need to clean the upholstery of my couch. I have no idea where to start. Right. I, I think I think it's it's a huge problem that we we look down upon house cleaners and I think thinking it's immoral to hire a house cleaner is extremely immoral. Like I I could go on about that for hours and how insulted I've been in conversations where I say I have a housekeeper and people are like I can't believe you would hire a housekeeper and I'm like really because I am a housekeeper. This is when I was a housekeeper. I had someone come into my house once a month to clean and people looked down on me and they got very confused when they realized people who hire housekeepers can actually be housekeepers. And I was like, I am, this is like thinking waitresses can't afford to go to restaurants. It's equally as problematic and classist. And also, like, you're paying them a fair wage. Like, I think that's something, that too, that... And this is something that's so fascinating because it's on both sides of the aisle right now we're talking about. I get really political. I'm from D.C. I'm allowed to do that. Yeah. No, I mean, we're getting on a tangent, but that's okay. But there's a way that we, um, you know, we talk about, like, people's right to work. And work being something that needs to be dignified. Any work can be dignified if it's paid well and isn't injuring the person who's doing the work. Okay. Off my soapbox. Continue. (laughs) Is it okay if I do it like this? Do you think the audio is okay? Um, so, So basically, I got a job as a housekeeper and I was making... Well, like $350 a week, which doesn't sound like a lot of money. I understand to a lot of people, but realize I was making like a little bit, like a little bit more than that, making coming home with $25,000 a week. So like I was basically replaced my income essentially. And then I was like, okay, now what am I going to do? So I was like, I need to, I want to buy this high ticket item. I want to, I want to buy this high ticket course. Everything in the rules of capitalism says that I shouldn't have done that. I should have gotten another job and I should have set aside money and I should have saved and I should have done all these other things. But I broke the rules of capitalism and I got a job as a tutor working uh, 10 hours a week as a tutor. And everything I made as a tutor, I put in a savings account. And for four months, I saved that up and I made $5,000. 
And then that was all what I used to pay for this high ticket item. And then afterwards, then of course I had this job still as a tutor. And so then that also went into my income. So I doubled my income by quitting my job and paid for this. Within four months, I doubled my income and I paid for this high ticket item. And while I'm not like giving anyone financial advice right now, I'm not trying to like say like, this is the best choice for you. I do think we can live the life we desire in a lot of ways when we realize this is all a game. Like who says that you need to do it this way versus this way? Who says you need to stay in your job to be able to go on vacations? Like it's, it's a messed up game. Makes me think, that just made me think of this TikTok of this guy who I believe he's, I believe he's Indonesian, but he's kind of TikTok famous. He lives in Germany and he basically was like, uh, worked really, really hard so that I could go to college. So I could leave Indonesia, leave Bali and go to Germany to go to college so that I could get a really good paying job so that I can afford vacations in Bali. And then he went, am I? stupid like we work so hard <laughs> to be able to like live this dream life so we can sit on the beach and do nothing when like you could just sit on the beach and do nothing i'm not saying you should do that but you could and like we have to like break out of this paradigm where we feel like success looks like this certain thing when i actually just think it's about happiness real happiness yeah, which is also related to God and sex and sangria. That's where the sangria comes in, everyone, <laughs> is in the, like, joy and the play. Um, mostly also because sangria is, like, my favorite beverage ever. I wish that I could drink it all the time and that it wasn't alcoholic. That's what I want. If someone would like to invent a non-alcoholic sangria that tastes the same, that would be great. Laura, do you have ideas? You looked like you had an idea about that. <laughs> 100%. I feel like you could do uh, like a seltzer water and a you could do a mulled wine, but don't re-add alcohol. So boil the wine, boil all the alcohol out of the wine, cool it down, and then add that to the drink with like cinnamon. That sounds That's great. What I would do. Um, which also brings us to <laughs> if you sign up to be on our joint mailing list, um, you will get quarterly or seasonal, um, seasonal sangria yeah. recipes, which is fun. So uh, the first one will obviously be a summer sangria. So it'll probably be like a white peach, right? That sounds good. Or there was one that you mentioned that you had that like has coconut rum in it or something. Yeah. Okay. So we've got some plans for some great sangrias and a mulled wine for the winter and all this kind of stuff. Um, but you'll at least get those quarterly as well as just more information about what we're up to. And if we do special events and things like that, you'll get invited. Um, and there will be a link in the show notes so that you can sign up for our mailing, our joint mailing list. Um, should you desire to be a part of it? Anything else you want to say, Lori, about sangria or God or sex? Well, I was thinking, wondering if the people who are new to listening to us, if they're wondering a little bit about who we are. So, but I don't know if we should just do reintroduction and reintroduction episode another day. That's a good question. Maybe just like a moment or two to be like, who are we and how do we differ? 
Yeah. Because we're not the same person and we don't work. Do the same thing. Yeah, we don't do the same thing. We're not working in the same capacity. We work separately, but do this yeah. together. Which is so also something that- I would like to talk about. Why it is that like yeah. we are doing this together. Because I think yeah. that is anti-capitalist and also anti-falling into the storyline of what women are supposed to do with one another. Right. Um, so let me ask this question. So Rachel, what is sex and what does it have to do with what you do for a living? So I work as a sex coach, which I like to tell people what that means is that I stand next to your bed and hold pom-poms and cheer you on. But um, it's kind of that and kind of not that. Um, I work specifically with people who are having sexual concerns in part because of the way that they were raised in religious culture that taught them that sex was bad or that their bodies were dirty or wrong or something along those lines. Um, And also with people who are sort of grappling with the sense of feeling like they were cheated out of sexual exploration because of being raised in a religious environment. And so both coming to terms with that and finding ways to explore their sexuality and to have more pleasure and to experience orgasm if they haven't experienced orgasm yet, as well as um, being able to have sex without pain, if that's something that people are experiencing, which is like super common. And a lot of my clients have tried everything under the sun. And this was the last step that got them to the point of being able to have penetrative sex and enjoy it. So that's pretty awesome. That's, those are my favorite people to work with. But yeah, what is sex? Um, hmm. I think a most basic definition of sex would be being able to experience your union with yourself, others, or God, which is also a definition of grace, um, in an embodied fashion. So not doing that through, you know, sitting in meditation and, and feeling our way there, not doing that in a way that is through a ritual religious service or through prayer necessarily in the traditional sense that we use the word prayer as like talking to God, but rather through an experience of your own body, especially an experience of the pleasure that your own body can have, an experience of that pleasure shared with another person or with several other people. Um, Yeah, that would be my definition of sex, I think. And sometimes it can be genitally oriented, but I don't think that sex needs to be. And I'm going to cite the fact that like people can have orgasms when you are, you know, stimulating nipples or when you're like chewing on somebody's ear, like those things can also stimulate orgasm and pleasure. And I think that while sex doesn't have to have orgasm, the fact that like our genitals aren't necessarily involved in those forms of stimulation means that our sexuality is beyond just our genitalia. And it's even beyond like I mean, obviously, it's beyond penetrative intercourse or else we'd be really limiting us to just set heterosexual sex. Um, and I also don't think that you need another person to have a spiritual experience that's also sexual. Um, what's her name? Teresa. <laughs> Which Teresa is? Saint Teresa Avila. Yeah, Teresa Avila, I think, is a great example of that. Um, though we can probably debate about whether or not she was actually just masturbating or having a really great prayer time. <laughs> I mean, we should do a whole entire podcast about that because I think that you can reach orgasm through meditation. And I kind of think that's what she was doing. Um, yeah. And because I think one of the key differences between us, because I'm not a sex therapist, I'm not a sex coach. And I think that that's really interesting because I'm over here, I'm a mystic and esoteric witch. 
And I help people tap into their erotic powers so they can live the life of their desires. And that sounds, and for me, sex is not just, um, not just two consenting adults rolling around in their decided location naked. It's, it is about the expansion of yearning and desire in our life and how yearning and desire for things, for the self, for, the, for others, and for the divine expands our life. And so to me, sex is, I think sex begins when you look across the room and you see someone and you guys lock eyes and it's like, ooh, sex has begun. And I think that, um, but I think that there's something inherently, and I guess this is why I also think the erotic isn't always sex, because there's also this moment where we have this desires in our life that bubble up that can transform us that are like, ooh, I want to read that book or ooh, I want to pursue that degree or ooh, that's my new desire. And that ooh feeling is what I chase. It's what I want to like encourage everyone to like tap into, I think. So yeah, and I think it's really, you mentioned like why are two people like us and doing a podcast, why are two women doing a podcast together and why it's so contradictory is because I think Rachel and I have talked about this when we first started talking about a podcast is we're very similar in our content. And I think a lot of people, especially when we were both in the Christian world, people would kind of see us in similar veins. But we wanted to not only show how distinctly different we are, but also support one another. Because I have so many clients where I'm like, you need to talk to Rachel. And I think that that's also important because I can tell you how to have an orgasm from my own experience of trying to have an orgasm and having orgasms, but I can't like help you because I don't training and like orgasm, but I can help you figure out what you want to do with your life and like how to do it bomb ass magically. Yeah. And similarly, it's like, I am a sex coach. I am trained in clinical sexology. I'm also trained in theology, but my real wisdom comes from like physically touching people's bodies for a decade as a massage therapist and helping people like find their own sexual desires through their own physical beings. It's really an embodied thing that I'm, I'm trained in. Um, and yeah, those things, when you're, when you're better aligned with your sexuality and when you feel really at peace in that, and you can like live into those desires, 100%, your desires are going to get increased in other areas of your life, but that's not what I'm helping people do directly. That's more so what you're helping people do directly, Lori. Um, and so there is this intersection where like, yeah, if we are embodied in our eros and in our desire and our sexuality, it's going to bleed out into these other areas and vice versa. Um, so there's this like interesting intersection there of like, yes, desire is important. And finding sexual desire and living into that is a really powerful space. But how we approach that is different. Whereas I'm like, no, if you have like a physical issue there, if there's actually like a limitation um, where you feel like when you touch yourself, it's dirty or wrong or gross, come talk to me. <laughs> we can move. We can work through that. And there's like lots of practices for that. 
And Lori's more about like, how do you really translate that into like all these other areas of your life? So we're going to be talking about all sorts of stuff with y'all. We're going to be talking about sex. We're going to be talking about God. We're going to be talking about feminism. We're going to be talking about manifestation. We're going to talk about money. We're going to talk about uh, orgasm. We're going to talk about probably BDSM. We're probably going to talk about masturbation. We're probably going to talk about sex magic, goddesses, ancestor work. What else are we talking about, Rachel? I'm like, that covers a lot. Um, any questions anybody has that they want us to talk about, we'll talk about. Um, I think also just generally, I mean, still talking about feminism, still talking about um, generally problems that we see in society that are related to capitalism or Christianity or religion in general, sexual morality um, in an expansive way, talking about LGBTQ concerns and, and issues that come up over the course of things. And when we talk about things that are not things that relate to our specific identities, we will bring in other people who fit those identities so that we can have a conversation about it. Um, and like we've done in the past, we'll be continuing to interview people who are experts in different areas, who've written really cool books, or just people we know that we think have fascinating and wonderful ideas that we want to share with you. Some weeks we'll do episodes, just one of us. Other weeks we'll do it together. Other weeks we'll one of us will be interviewing someone or both of us will be interviewing someone. So there'll be a lot of variation in that regard, um, which gives us the flexibility to really talk about what are our expertise as both individuals and together. The other thing I wanted to mention is that part of what I really think is important about us working and doing this together is that both women in general are taught to be competitive and not work together. And also in the coaching industry, people are taught to look at others as competition. And doing something together feels a lot like, okay, we're breaking down that, that story and saying we're not, con- we're not in competition. There may be a time when you want to work with Lori. There may be a time when you want to work with me. Um, there may be times when you want to work with both of us at the same time and they can work really well together. And you may just want to hang out and listen to our brilliant ideas. <laughs> like all of those things are great. <laughs> The other thing, when you said that, I also like, oh, it just makes me think like how I'm living with my boyfriend, who's also an entrepreneur, and they don't, like him and his colleagues who are other entrepreneurs, they don't compete with each other. They'll be on the phone with each other for hours, like reviewing marketing strategies together and like giving each other feedback. And like one of them is like an expert in one thing. And then, you know, he's an expert in something else. And they like go back and forth and they like, they tell each other what to do. I mean, he has a friend who is a TikTok, who's a super famous on TikTok. Like a lot of people know him. And he gives him TikTok advice. And like people pay him for TikTok advice. And he'll like constantly be giving my boyfriend advice. And just think about like how women just inherently are like, no, I'm not giving over my juice for you. I'm holding on to it forever. And I think we're it's actually one of the reasons we're behind in this. And like we need to be able to support one another. So, yeah, that was just a little tangent. Yeah. I'm now thinking about, like, all the reasons we've been taught to compete against one another instead of work together. This will be a good episode. Yes. (laughs) Someday. We'll talk about that. (laughs) All right. Well, I think that's all we have for you today. For more information about Rachel, you can visit www.sexwithspirit.com or go to Instagram at rachel.alba.coaching. 
And for me, you can visit www.lauriekimmerly.com or visit me on Instagram at Lori Kimmerly. We are God, Sex, and Sangria. And we will see you next week for another episode. Bye.